Hi everyone and welcome to the This Week in British History podcast. Before we get started, this is an audio version of the YouTube series This Week in British History, which is available on the British History Tours uh, uh, channel. So just to let you know that if you want to watch so that you also get the visuals, there is a link in the show notes on this podcast, which will give you the link to YouTube. But I've also recorded this, so in a way that I hope you can enjoy it fully also as a podcast. All right, let's get started. Hello fellow history lovers, welcome back to This Week in British History with me, Philippa Lacey Brawl. Um, I run British History Tours and also provide these weekly episodes of what happened in This Week in British History. So these go live every Sunday and if you want more daily posts then please come along and find me on Facebook and Instagram. But this week we are looking at events which happened between the 11th and the 17th of May. We're looking at the beginning of the end for slavery. Rather topical at the moment, vaccinations. The first time there was a documented vaccination this time it was smallpox and it was administered by a Gloucestershire doctor called Edward Jenner. And we also look at the first time we decided to move our clocks in order to get British summertime. On the 12th of May 1789, William Wilberforce made his first speech in the House of Commons against the slave trade. Slavery is one of the biggest tragedies of mankind. Empires, for all the rhetoric around why some succeeded, why some didn't, every single empire that's been successful has used slavery. Now we can look on slavery as what it is, abhorrent and immoral and unjustified and disgusting. There is modern slavery, but this is about the actual legal trading of human beings. Now the change from slavery being an accepted form of forced labour to the situation we have now, where it's illegal, thankfully, it there has been a series of steps and the first one in the UK was this speech by William Wilberforce. When William Wilberforce, the independent MP for Yorkshire, stood up in the House of Commons on the 12th of May 1789, he was standing in a room of privileged gentlemen, many of whom were making a lot of money on the back of either owning or trading slaves. Now Wilberforce took a rather pragmatic approach in his first speech. He didn't call for the abolishment of the slave trade initially. He knew that he would have to do this in stages. If he went straight in for it, it would probably have been thrown out of Parliament and taken a lot longer to, um, to get to where he wanted. So he highlighted the conditions that the slaves were being kept in and argued that actually the healthier the slaves were, were I hate using the word slaves, um, the healthier the slaves were, the actually the more productive they might be, the, the better that might be actually for their employer. Now it may seem frustrating to us looking back that he didn't just call for an outright abolishment of slavery and the slave trade from the beginning, but he, he knew his audience, 
it was of the time he knew that he would have to bring this in incrementally he needed to start the conversation and this speech did begin to turn the moral tide on slavery it was the first step to the eventual abolition of slavery and the slave trade it wasn't until february 1807 that the slave trade act abolished slavery and it wasn't until 27 years after that that full emancipation was actually given now the abolition of slavery obviously didn't come down just to one man but without william wilberforce beginning that argument and starting the discussion around slavery and slave trade human trade then it could have been a lot longer that the slave trade and slavery continued when i was doing some research into magna carta and how magna carta has been invoked throughout the centuries for various different causes slavery um, came up as one of the times where magna carta was cited and it was used on both sides of the argument um, the one side for uh, you know freedom liberty for humans and the other side which argued that these humans were in fact property and no man should have his property seized without reason and in fact MPs were so our members of parliament MPs were actually compensated when slavery was abolished for their loss of property and that uh, borrowing that was created in order to pay the MPs their compensation has only recently been paid off. Now this story is relevant to everyone at the moment because we can't turn on the news at the moment without hearing of course of vaccines because of the COVID-19 pandemic and we're all hoping that there will be a vaccine which will give us immune, uh, an immunity response to COVID should we catch it and therefore we know that we can survive it. But vaccines have only been around for about 200 years. There was a disease called smallpox, which um, if any of you are Tudor fans, you probably uh, remember that Elizabeth I caught smallpox and was very, very ill with, with it. And um, one of her female attendants, um, I think it was Mary Shelton, that's off the top of my head, got it very, very severely and was severely uh, scarred for the rest of her life. Now, I will not put a picture up of smallpox because um, it is a horrendous disease. And until you see a picture of it, I don't think you can quite grasp it, but I will put a link in the, uh, in the show notes to a picture. Basically, the, uh, it almost looks like, um, like a, a rock on the seaside where all the little shells have attached to, to the rock, if you know what I mean. It's almost like that on the skin. So you can see immediately that it would be very difficult not to become scarred from it. But it was also not just, uh, you know, it didn't just mean that people who came out of it um, were scarred. It was a killer. It was an extremely serious disease and it came in waves throughout the centuries. But in 1796, things started to look up. There was a Gloucestershire doctor called Edward Jenner. And where he uh, lived in Gloucestershire, a place called Barclay, there it's basically in the middle of the countryside, so it's a very uh, rural area. And what they'd begun to notice was that 
milkmaids who would uh, physically milk the cows obviously in, 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 the, in those days. When the cowpox was going around, they would also catch the cowpox and these would cause pustules on their hands. It didn't really affect them, but then when smallpox came around, they didn't seem to get it. They had some sort of protection. Edward Jenner took this idea and decided to test it. And on the 14th of May, 1796, he administered the first crude vaccination. Jenner took the fluid from a cowpox pustule, made a scratch into an eight-year-old boy's arm, his name was James Phipps, and injected some of the material into the scratch. A pustule developed on uh, the site of the infection. And then on the 1st of July, Jenner administered some of the smallpox disease into another scratch on the boy. But no disease developed. This vaccination had been successful. There's a few caveats we should put to the Jenner story. Um, he, his methods were quite clumsy. He, there was nothing here to actually protect the boy's health at all. He was basically experimenting on, on James Phipps. And so we should remember James Phipps as well, absolutely. But Jenner wasn't working completely off an idea from thin air. Um, not only was there anecdotal evidence that the uh, milkmaids weren't catching smallpox, but there actually was already um, inoculations against smallpox carried out in other parts of the world. So this idea is that you get a milder form of the disease or a similar disease, and therefore you have an immune response ready to kick in should you get the more severe disease or strain of a disease. In Turkey, they had been doing this for quite a while. And a lady called Lady Montague, an English lady, was stationed out there with her, or her husband was stationed out there, and she went out there. And um, having suffered with smallpox herself, while she was in Turkey, she allowed her son to have the inoculation. When they came back, she brought that idea back with her that was uh, earlier on in the century. If you're interested in that story, I have covered that in detail in the British History membership. And if you look in the show notes, there's a link on how you can join. It's, um, it's a monthly British History membership group. It's really fun. Um, it's low cost and you can, can unsubscribe anytime. But if you're interested in that story, we have covered that really recently. Uh, and actually the Spanish flu as well, epidemic has also been covered recently. All very topical. <laughs> but before we move on from that story, vaccination. Vaccination, the, the word comes from the Latin for cow, which is vaca. And that is the link another link back to Jenna because obviously he had inoculated this boy with the cowpox uh, disease against smallpox. So that is where we get vaccination from. It's vaca, which is Latin for cow. Now, one of the only times that British people use the word fall for autumn is when we're trying to remember which way the clocks go. So we know that the clocks go forward one hour at some point and they go back at one hour at some point. And the the, um, the, the little rhyme, spring forward, fall back, is very helpful. And that's the only time we use the word fall for autumn. But it began, British summertime began in 1916. So on the 17th of May, 1916, it came into law that on the 21st, 
the hour was going to move forward. Now the idea behind this was that we were wasting time, daylight time. There were many hours that were bright light where people were still in bed and this was in war time you know there's a war effort going on here and we're wasting some time so the idea was brought in that we would move the clock and make more use of the daylight hours a builder from kent called william willett is credited with coming up with this idea apparently up early one morning he realized that even though it was bright light perfect conditions for getting started with work people's curtains were still drawn people were still in bed and what a waste of valuable daylight hours where they could be working now initially he'd had this idea way before the first world war way before it was actually brought in um, in the early 1900s but in 1908 he got mp robert pierce to start championing this idea in the house of commons however initially it wasn't obviously taken on board until it became more relevant during the war. Unfortunately, William Willett didn't get to see his brainchild enacted because he died in 1915. But there is a memorial to him in Petswood. There is a sundial and on it is a Latin inscription which translates basically into, I count only the hours in the summer, presumably because you can't change the hour on a sundial. Thank you so much for watching this episode. If you enjoyed it, please do give it the thumbs up. And if you want to comment, please do, because I will reply to your comments. Um, if you're not subscribed, quite a few of you watch but aren't subscribed, please do subscribe. There's a button here. Obviously, you can go onto the page and, and click that as well. And there's the bell, of course. We need you to click the bell and then you will get notifications when there is a new episode. They go live every Sunday, but in the meantime, I also do some bonus videos. There's some virtual tours and some talks and all sorts of things. But for now, stay safe, stay well, and I'll see you again next time.